Welcome to Highland Gospel Community again. Uh, we are glad to have you with us. Uh, my name is Travis Hall. I'm one of the many deacons here at Highland Gospel Community, so I just want to say welcome. A few other just announcements, I guess. Um, we did move the tithe box, in case you're wondering. It's just, just shifted it a little bit. So uh, if you're wondering how to give, there's these giving envelopes. Also, if this is your first Sunday and you are you need prayer, just want us, want us to be able to connect with you if you could fill out a connect card. And then I also have one more announcement that I deliberately withheld from Kyle because I selfishly wanted to share it with you all. And that is that Bruce and Sarah Jackson gave birth to their baby son this morning. So, so Noah Bennett has now entered the world. And it, for some of you, you're probably wondering, I was wondering what they're going to name him. And well, Noah Noah Bennett is the name, so we're really excited for them. If you know them, this is a really exciting thing, and just what an answer to prayer. My wife and I have had the privilege of being in community group with them for about three years now and just walking through that with them, and so this is, we're excited. Well, this morning, we are starting a new book. Uh, we're going to be starting the book of Philippians, which as far as Pauline epistles go, this is probably one of my favorites right behind the book of Galatians. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in this book. And if you've been attending HGC for a while and you've ever wondered, why do we as Highland Gospel Community typically on Sunday mornings study books of the Bible instead of doing different topical series or, you know, hey, when are we going to do a series on finance? Well, we'll get there when the text that we're studying gets us there. Um, but I just want to give a few reasons as to why we do we study the way that we study, and, and first off, it helps us ensure that we're sticking to God's ideas instead of Pastor Nate's ideas, Pastor Mike's ideas, my ideas, who's ever in here t in the pulpit teaching, we're sticking to God's ideas, and that, and that will then also, then it teaches us to be God-centered as opposed to being man-centered. This will also help, help us emphasize what God emphasizes. Another, another important aspect, it's going to help us to understand context. And if you were here a few, few weeks ago or if you come to Preach Club, that word context has been used a lot. Context is key. And, and we, 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 we know this is important because it will help us to get the meaning of the text. Um, and then probably my favorite part right now, as I advance and, and do more preaching, this may not be my favorite part, but we can't skip over the hard parts. We can't skip over a text and go, you know, that's just culturally sensitive. We have to stick with the text. Um, also, and this is my prayer for all of us, is that as we study verse by verse, book by book, we all will study together. You will be studying the word in your own time, in your homes, with your families, with your kids, with your wife, husband. You will get to know the word in a deeper way. And also, we know that God's Word is the primary tool of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, plain and simple. So this morning, we are starting the book of Philippians, and, and all these things that I listed are very true of this book of Philippians. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the church in, at Philippi, which was actually the first church that he started in Europe. Um, and, and actually, you can, if you want to... Uh, get a little bit more context with that, you can, you can go back and read in Acts 16, and there you're going to read about one of the first converts in Philippi, Lydia, and you're going to also read about some, some of Paul's hard times in Philippi. Um, Paul and Silas were, 
put into prison while in Philippi for forcing a demon to leave a slave girl who told fortunes. That's a weird thing to be imprisoned for. I, I think you give them a gold star or something at least, but they were in, imprisoned. And so Paul then is, then God delivers Paul from prison and they share the gospel with the jailer on their way out, which is just incredible. And, and even though he may have visited Philippi a few other times, we don't know for sure. Um, we do know that, that there were several days that were recorded in Acts 16, and, and I'm guessing those were the only days that he, he actually spent there. Now, the reason why he wrote this letter is because the Philippians had sent one of their church members, Ephroditus, to, to Paul with a gift while he was in prison. Um, and however, he, as he writes this this letter in prison or in jail, it's pretty remarkable um, that even though he's in jail, he uses the word joy 59 times in this one book. And that's just, that's just the noun. He, that doesn't include the verb rejoice, which is used multiple times as well. And we're not really sure why he was in prison when, when he wrote this, but it seems, I'm sorry, we're not sure where he was in prison when he wrote this. Um, it was most likely in Rome because he speaks of Caesar's household in chapters 1 and 4. So assuming this is true, uh, he's likely on, in, in some type of house imprisonment. So in other words, Paul's on house arrest. He doesn't have the ankle monitor, though, if that's what you're thinking. Uh, if you know someone who's on house arrest, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're on house arrest. I don't know. Um, and, 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 and some of you might, might hear house arrest, and you're like, that doesn't seem that serious. And, and, and most day, today, it wouldn't seem as serious. But Paul is still wondering if his execution is coming with the way he writes, in, the way he writes later in chapter 1, talking a lot about his death. So Paul wanted to express his thanks for the Philippians, for their support in the faith of the gospel and just their personal support of him through the sending of care packages uh, Paul also wants the Philippians to continue to grow in their health as a church family, just as we as a leadership want us as a church to grow in our health as a family. Um, that, you know, and, and as, we, as we go throughout this book, we're going to see that the biggest theme to the very end is joy. That's why we have joy in Jesus. That's, that's where we got the title is the biggest theme in this book is joy. Now, it's not the central purpose of every single text we're going to cover during this spring series, but it's certainly a unifying theme. Um, and here's the incredible thing about this joy. It's not mere positivity or emotional happiness. It's not merely having a mentality of, well, it could always be worse. It's much more than that. In fact, this joy has a name. This joy has a name that is above all names. This joy's name is Jesus. And it's clear as can be in the book of Philippians that Jesus is Paul's joy. And my prayer for us as a church family is that Jesus would be our joy and that throughout this series, maybe we would come that much closer to being able to say to ourselves what Paul says in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So today we're going we're gonna to be looking at the opening letter of this book from Paul and hear of Paul's love and affection for these believers at Philippi. And it's really quite remarkable how much Paul wanted to see these Christians and how much joy it brought him to think of them, pray for them, 
even only after spending a few days getting the church started with him, as far as we know. So as Jordan Gavan um, is going to come up here and read, he is one of our deacons here at Highland Gospel Community. We're going to read the first 11 verses. So if you'll just stand with us, we're going to read this. But before we read, I want, to ask a, I, I want us to have a question in mind as we read this text. Why does Paul so love fellow Christians? Why is he so affectionate for these who are a part of the body of Christ? Why does he love these fellow Christians? Why is he so affectionate for those who are part of the body of Christ? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You guys can take a seat. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this morning, and we pray as we, as we start this book that, that we would really begin to understand what it means to have a joy in Jesus, a joy in you. And Lord, I pray for my morning this self that it's not about me, it's about you. It's about your word speaking through me. Your words bring life. My words at best bring death. And so, Lord, I pray that, that hearts would be encouraged where they need to be encouraged and they would be convicted where they need to be convicted. Lord, we give you this morning. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. So did you hear Paul's affections for these people? And in verses 3 and 4, we're going to pick it up. And I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making my prayer with joy. You can see that he loves them. Every prayer he prays for them brings him joy. In verse 7 it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. Clearly he loves these believers. He yearns for these believers. Now, now here's the question I want us to ask ourselves. Do we feel this way about fellow Christians? Do we have this strong of affections for, and love for one another? When we're not here on a Sunday morning, maybe we're on vacation, visiting family, something, we're sick. Do we get homesick for the church, the people of God? 
If we don't, I'm fairly certain we're going to be surprised that the reason we don't feel that way has more to do with us than the church. In other words, it's not because the church just isn't quite worthy of my affections, but it has more to do with our hearts when we don't have a genuine affection for the church, God's people. And remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago when I taught, our heart is wicked and deceitful and will always mislead us. Remember that. Keep that in mind as, as, we're, as we're diving through this text. So why should we yearn for one another, yearn for one another like Paul yearned for the Philippians? What is it that brings us joy about other believers? From Paul's heart for these Christians, we see three reasons for Jesus-centered affection for the church. And, and that first reason, if you're a point person, here's point number one. We share in God's grace. We share in God's grace. You, you see it in verses 1 and 2 and 5 through 8. This, this comes directly from verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way by you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. And then, and then you, you look at verse 5. We've been partners in the gospel from the first day until now. So what he means by that first day is, is since the first day that, that you came to saving faith, since that day that God and his grace saved you, we have been brothers and sisters, partners in the gospel including the hard times like this, like the, 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 the hard time that Paul is experiencing now. So we are partakers in the gospel. We are, we are bound together even in the hard times. And if we're honest, as a church, we've been through a hard season together, but we're still bound together by the gospel, partners from the first day. So do you realize, church, that we as Christians share the most central and vital part of who we are? We share Christ. This is crucial to understanding why Paul so loved the Philippians. Have you ever noticed that when people have shared experiences and not only shared interests, but it's also a shared affection, especially if it's something big? So shared experiences naturally bring people together. Most singles are naturally drawn to other singles. Most young marrieds who don't have kids are naturally drawn to young marrieds. I do want to encourage the young marrieds of this church. We, I say we because I'm in that category. You guys do a great job of, of, of hanging out with the singles, of hanging out with the parents and not just secluding yourselves to just your, your people group. So be encouraged by that. But we also see that, that people with kids, they're drawn together. Uh, empty nesters, senior saints are drawn together because shared experiences naturally bring people together. The, and we, we see this in, there, and, and here's the thing, there's no more greater, no, there's no greater or more life-changing shared experience than that of being adopted into the family of God. The greatest shared experience that we all have is we are adopted. We are called sons and daughters of Christ. So there's no greater shared experience than having your sin completely wiped away and Christ's righteousness given to you so that you are a new creation and you are reconciled to God. 
So we have no greater shared experience than that. And we all agree with that. So here's a question. Why don't we get along sometimes? The problem is that when we're more focused on this world and not the things of God, we're being, we're being pulled towards more people that are like us in worldly ways than like us in godly ways. And our affections for all Christians start to dwindle, and our affections for people who have other things in common with us kind of just take over. And, and, and another way of looking at this, we surround ourselves with people in the same worldly status as us. Um, I don't know how many of you use social media. I'm, I'm going to guess a, a good portion of you have Facebook or Instagram. Some of you are like, man, I, I don't have any of that. I'm still holding on to my AOL account. Uh, I just got to hear from my dad that, you know, this is why you shouldn't have Facebook. They're mining your data. Nothing's free. And I'm like, you still use AIM. So AOL Instant Messenger for you kids who are like, what is AIM? Anyways, um, <laughs> I need to get back on point. Um, so if you don't notice when you're using Facebook or other social media sites, the algorithm they use to determine what posts you see in your newsfeed is based on the types that you like or comment on. And over time, you see more and more and more of what you want and more and more of what you like. Over time on social media, you can easily become surrounded by people that think just like you. And, and social media sites really just do that because that's how they compete and stay relevant. Um, but, it, but it comes back to a, a simple principle is people do not want to be surrounded by people different from them. Um, according to Pew Research, and if you ever have some free time, Pew Research has some fascinating studies that will, that I, I feel like most times I, I, I read them that I'm sad, but they're, they're still remarkable. Um, Half of consistent conservatives and half of consistent liberals specifically admit that it's more important to them to live in a place like a neighborhood or a community where most people share their political views. That's incredibly sad that we are so closed-minded as a culture that we can't hear someone else's views without getting triggered or getting upset or, or getting offended so, so many people, many of us don't even want to live around those who have different views from us, politically speaking. And this goes for every realm of life. We want to be around the same people with the same interests as ourselves and the same opinions as ourselves. And this is why the church is so countercultural. In the body of Christ, we have people of completely different backgrounds, different race, different cultures, different socioeconomic statuses. And some of you are going to freak out when I say this. So please hear me when I, that I don't want you to freak out, but you, you just may. Some of us may have different political views. And that's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world. And, 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 and I'll be honest, this is about as political as we're going to get today. So you can breathe a sigh of relief, because um, I am. Um, so what brings us all together? What even brings us joy to be together? We share in God's grace. So we have the greatest shared experience there is. God saved us from our sin, providing Christ our substitute, Christ our king. So that's number one. Number two, the second reason for Jesus-centered affection for the church, for his people, for one another is this. 
We are confident in God's work of sanctification. We are confident in God's work of sanctification. And and you clearly see this in verse 6. So think about it this way. We get to see God's work in each other in a very real sense. We get to see Christ become more and more evident in each other's lives. And we know that this is happening in our church, and this will continue to happen. So verse 6, I love verse 6. I cling to this verse on those days when I'm tired and weary. If, if there was a verse to memorize, I would encourage you to memorize this, to take it to heart. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. Paul was so affectionate for these saints in Philippi because he saw that they shared in God's grace, not only for salvation, but for sanctification. He loved them because he saw God working in them, moving in them. They were a testimony to God's work and to his character. The one who began a good work in us as sons and daughters is the same one who will carry it to completion. Church, that is a great encouragement and a great reminder, not only to us as individuals, but to us as a church family. God did the work in us to save us. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. John 6, he drew us to himself, and now he, Christ, does the work of sanctification. He is refining and purifying us and bringing us more into the likeness of his son, Jesus, despite our inadequacies, despite our failures that we still have as Christians. God does not give up. He does not give up. So why does that bring us joy when we see this, not just in ourselves, but other Christians? Because it is a testimony to the character of God. He is a God that does not go back on his promises. He is the God that cannot and will not be stopped by anything in bringing to completion what he has began in you and in me. He does not give up. He is relentless for his people. Flip over to Ezekiel chapter 20. And, and we, in Ezekiel chapter 20, we're going to pick it up in verses 8 and 9. Um, but in Ezekiel chapter 20, we see one of the most blatant and blatant examples of God's commitment to never giving up on his people, no matter their rebellion or in their inadequacies. And God commands them over and over to turn back to them. But just pick it up here in verse, in verse 8. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among them where they lived and whose sight I had made myself known to them and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So they rebel. God is getting ready to pour out his wrath, but he decided not to. And he only decided not to for the sake of his own name. And because of his character and not wanting to confuse the, the surrounding nations about his character, his own character. And, and, and if you, I would encourage you to just read, read, read the rest of this later. But you jump down to verses 13 and 14, the exact same thing happens again. 
They rebelled. He's about to pour out his wrath, but he relented for the sake of his name. Guess what? Verses 21 and 22, the exact same thing. These are very lucky people. Um, We see this throughout Israel's history, but it's such an amazing thing to see so many examples in one chapter in Ezekiel. It reveals God's heart and that he does not let his people go. God's faithfulness, not only in our salvation, but also in our sanctification, should bring us great joy, especially when we see this in other people. Not only in our growth, not only is our growth a testimony to God's faithfulness, but every Christian around us, their growth, their sanctification are all testimonies to God's faithfulness. And we should encourage, when we see this in others, we should encourage each other when we see Christ in one another. But ultimately, we should thank God like Paul does because he is the one doing the work in us. In a very real sense, we're all little pulpits walking around testifying and preaching of God's faithfulness. And I know that sounds a bit silly, but it is still a good picture nonetheless to have in mind. Despite my inadequacies, despite our inadequacies, we are confident that God will finish the work. And I know that to be true because I see it in all of you around me. Join a community group. This is going to be a community group plug, by the way. Join a community group and you will see growth in a brother and sister. You will see a new believer become mature over time. And it's an incredible thing. So if God doesn't give up on his children, then it's probably the case that neither should we, right? If you're ever frustrated at a Christian not acting completely like a Christian, which at times happens, see it as a joy to not only hopefully see those Christians mature in the future, but also maybe even play a role in that maturing. We can be confident that God will do this, but we also must realize that maybe we're the ones that God will use to help them. And also, maybe we're not. But we can stand back and cheer them on as they grow in maturity. Be their biggest cheerleader for the, for the immature believer. Cheer them on. Push them towards holiness. And we can be confident. We can be confident of that. And, and here's another thing. The hypocrisy and the sin of the church shouldn't only be a frustration. I know that, I know many people who have said to me, and at times I've secretly said it to myself, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. And we, we have to understand that when we get that way, when we think like that, the problem is not with the church, the problem is with our hearts. Again, our hearts are wicked and deceitful and will lead us astray. And yes, of course the church is full of hypocrites. It's part of why we're here. It's, we're better for hypocrites to be. And, and I've heard people complain, well, people in the church don't even know they're messed up hypocrites. Maybe some don't. However, in my limited 10, 11 years of experience, it's exactly why we're here, because we know it. We know we're depraved. We know we need a Savior, and that and that, that Savior that we need died for these people, died for all of us. And when we say we don't like the church, the body of Christ, his bride, 
we're exposing our own hearts. Do we, need, do we not see God at work in each other's hearts? Maybe not in everyone. And maybe not all at the same pace. But God is moving, and he and only he will bring, that comp- bring to completion what he began. And it's a beautiful thing when we see this in the body of Christ. And I'm sure you can all think of examples of people maturing and growing and look back on it fondly. We all have strengths and, strengths and weaknesses. We're all in different paces in our walks with Christ, different parts of the journey toward being like Christ. So guess what? Being together means that we get to see more and more of who Jesus is by looking at the collective holiness of the church. In the collective holiness of the church, we get to see a far better picture of the heart and holiness of Jesus than we ever would apart. And this, part, this is the part where we now come to number three, point number three. And this kind of leads into the third reason for Jesus-centered affection for the church and his people. Number three, we desire one another spiritual growth. We desire one another spiritual growth, verses 9 and 11. We want to see this in each other. We're confident that God will finish the work, and because of that, we pray for this just like Paul. We're jealous for each other's sanctification. We want to see Jesus in each other, partly because we want to have that joy, but also because we're jealous for Jesus' reputation as seen in the body of Christ. Paul expresses what is his primary, pr- primary prayer for the, for the Philippians, starting in verse 9. And after talking about the affection he has for them and his love for them that they share in God's grace because he's confident that God will finish the work in them, now he prays to end in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wants them to grow. He wants them to continue on this path in the gospel, which is also what he wants throughout the entire book of Philippians. And also, this does not contradict verse 6 which gives God all the credit for all the work. It may seem like Paul is now telling the Philippians to do, abound more and more in love and knowledge. It may seem like that conflicts with what God, with saying that God is the one that does all the work, but it doesn't. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that empowers us and energizes us towards holiness. D.A. Carson calls it grace-driven effort. Grace-driven effort. We've been given a new life in Christ, according to Romans 6. We're new creations, and now we strive by His grace and the the, the ability that He gave us to live that new life that we've been given. So specifically, what does spiritual growth look like? First and foremost, it's love. Love is perhaps the greatest mark of the Christians in the New Testament. More and more, genuine love for God and for others become part of who we are. And this love isn't just contrived for our own selves. 
It is the love of Christ, again in verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. As Christ lives more and more in you and me, his love will be shown through, shown through you and me. His love for God will become my love for God. His love for people, specifically his people, his children, will become my love for people. So, how specifically does this love abound more and more? How does that happen? With knowledge and discernment. That, th that's what Paul says in verse 9. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, you just have to worship more and more and, and you'll just have to really turn on the feels. No. He says knowledge and discernment are what will help us to be pure and blameless, filled with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Knowledge and discernment is how we grow spiritually and how we grow to love like Christ loves. And we do not hear this a lot in mainstream Christian culture, circles, and churches. We don't hear that knowledge is what it takes to grow spiritually. We hear we just need to express our love more and more. Express it. Love more and more and more. And when you don't express your love enough, that's when your growth will be stunted. No. That's hogwash at, at, at the best and, 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 Paul would, and, and, and Paul would even disagree with this. The reason our growth is stunted, and even our, the reason our love for God is stunted, and even the reason our love for each other is stunted, is not because we need some extra experience, but because we're ignorant. How can we love a God whom we do not know? We can't. It's impossible. Knowledge of who God is and what he has done theologically found in his word, what he's given to us will progress us towards maturity. So what am I saying? We need to know this inside and out. We need to have it on our hearts. All of us need to be students of the word. We need to know the word. We need to breathe the word. We need to live the word. This is not just for guys who get up here and preach to know. It is for all of us to know. We all have access to it. There's so many resources out there that can help you become better students of the word. Come to Preach Club, men. You don't have to preach. It's just going to help you learn how to study the Bible better and know the Bible better. This knowledge is directly linked to discernment. So how, how those two go together, one commentator puts it this way. Paul links knowing the truth with the applying the truth to life. He joins what does, the, what does the Bible teach to how does this truth affect daily life. The more we grow in knowledge and discernment, the more we grow in our love, and the more we progress towards purity and blamelessness. Purity being holiness of heart and blamelessness being holiness of actions. Purity is internal, blamelessness is external. And as this progression takes place, we'll be filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ from verse 11. This is all a process, right? More and more gives us a clear picture of a long-term, slow process of growth. There is no spiritual growth microwave or Instapot. Sorry, ladies. I know you love your Instapots. 
Uh, I think we own one. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> real spiritual growth is the slowest cooker you can imagine. So I love, I love smoked meat. My, my father-in-law has this thing called the green egg. It is awesome. We smoke a turkey at Thanksgiving, but it's a process. It takes time to enjoy that good tender meat. And you got to wait. And, and, and it's well worth the wait. That spiritual maturity, it's well worth the wait. So then why do we have such a lack of maturity in the church? Because we're impatient. I'm impatient. I'm an impatient man. Uh, talk to Kara, and she can give you probably 10 examples in 10 seconds. Um, not only do we want five ways my life can be changed this week from who's ever preaching. I mean, that's really what we want. We, we want our best life now, and we want to make every day Friday and all that. Um, because we're impatient. We're impatient with each other. Instead of recognizing long, slow-term, slow, long-term uh, spiritual growth in one another, we get frustrated when, when, when a brother won't grow up fast enough or a sister won't grow up fast enough. A lot of you have known me for the last seven years, uh, some of you longer, some of you your whole life. I did not get saved and just like step into the season of life that I'm in. It was a long process. And some of you have seen me as a believer at my most immature. Some of you can think of many examples, but the, but the Lord and his grace, through studying his word, through growing in knowledge and discernment, I'm continuing to mature. We are all continuing to mature. I can look around this room and see a lot of you who have matured a lot this year, and I'm so proud of you. So, so proud of you. I'm going to put you on the spot, man. Kyle Carroll has grown exponentially in the last two years. He, I just can't say enough good about this brother and the growth that I have seen, and I'm so proud of him. So we have to be patient. We, have, we persevere by God's grace, by his power, because we know he will bring it to completion. Stephen, you and Corey can come back up. So here's the question I want to close with. Do you, do we love the body of Christ? Do we have an affection for these people for these people of God because of what we share or do we let small worldly differences overshadow what we share and I'm not saying we ignore the differences sometimes we need to acknowledge the differences we do so if you will entertain me I want you to try to come up with the most annoying type of person to you just try to make it up in your head and maybe you don't have to make it up maybe you can look around the room and find him or her. Maybe they stand really close to you when they talk. Maybe they're overbearing. Maybe they're selfish. Maybe they're just a little too conservative. Maybe they're a little bit too liberal. Or maybe, like some of us, they just don't care. They don't care about the things that you care about. Whoever those people are that are different from you, even in big ways at least in our worldly eyes, can you have affection for them based on the gospel? Because you have more in common with them than anyone else on the face of the planet. Paul had this affection. 
Jesus certainly did. You read through the Gospels and you're like, man, he certainly had it. So we need to find joy in seeing the diversity of the body of Christ coming together around one truth, one message, the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ Jesus, our King, because he is more than a shared experience. He is our life, and he is our joy. Church, I love you. I love you all dearly. Let's walk together in love, and let's walk in our shared joy in Jesus together as a family. Let's pray. Lord, you are the only true joy that we can find. You are the only truth that we can find. So Lord, we acknowledge our failures in loving our brothers and sisters, and we just ask that you would forgive us. Lord, forgive me for my shortcoming as a Christian, as a son. Lord, we pray this morning that as, as we worship you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and that you would be glorified above all else. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.